We're starting a new series today uh, called, do I have control over it just yet? Um, there we go, called Nacho. It's not yours. Um, and, uh, and so there's an age-old joke that you guys are probably familiar, it's on the board outside. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho. Nacho cheese, right? And so our whole series is based off that corny joke. I'm so sorry, but that's how I do. Um, so we're doing a series on stewardship, and I thought what better way to do a series on stewardship than to brand it as Nacho, because it's Nacho money, right? It's Nacho world. It's Nacho family, and so we're going to look at what belongs to God and how we might uh, live according to his word. So um, before we dive into all of that, um, I just want to set the stage for us out of Genesis uh, uh, chapter, chapter 1, um, because if we're going to talk about things that are not, not ours, then we must understand who owns, right? And so if you would read for the, uh, stand for the reading of the word, uh, Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to just start in verse 24 and finish that chapter out. Uh, so prior to this, God has created many beautiful things in the world. Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and those creepy things, and the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And there's a beautiful picture of the Trinity there. God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the heavens and over the creepy lives or over the livestock and over all of the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on earth and so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them and god blessed them and said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And on the seventh day, God rested. And you may be seated. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Lord, this morning, as we look at your word, as we hear from your word, and we're going to be all over scripture this morning, Father, may we receive your truth into our lives. May we find ways in which we are walking according to your will and your ways and be encouraged. And may we also... Lord, be convicted of ways that we don't match your word, specifically with this topic this morning. And may we be called to account for the ways that we can ever so strive to live according to your will and your way for our life. We give you all the glory, Father, and we are ready to listen to you this morning. And it's your name that we pray these things. And all God's children said, amen. amen. All right, so if we are going to be talking about things that are nachos, right, um, then we need to define what it means if something is not ours, but we have been entrusted with it. Because we just read in scripture that God made all of the things in the heavens and the earth, right? But then he gave mankind dominion over those things, which means it's not ours, but we have been entrusted with it. And we 
in the Christian worldview, we call this stewardship, right? We have become stewards of the things that God has entrusted to us. But what really is stewardship? Just a general definition of stewardship. I looked it up. Careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care according to the standards of the owner, right? Okay, so if you are um, house-sitting for someone and your neighbor says, hey, I want you to house-sit for me, you are then a steward, right, of their house and you don't trash it, right, and then return it to them after a wild party while they were gone and there's pizza on the ceiling, right, and dog poop on the kitchen floor and you say, I had so much fun in your house, right? That's not what you do, right? Right? Right. Oh, goodness. You, none of you are house-sitting for me, ever. And, uh, yeah. Um, so you don't return it like that. In fact, you return it in the condition that you received it or better, right? Okay. That means that you are carefully and responsibly managing their house according to their standards, right? Because you take care of their dog the way you want them to take care. They want you to take care of their dog, right? You don't feed their dog more than their dog is supposed to get because you follow the instructions of the owner, right? So this just makes common sense in the average worldview. So that's a general definition of stewardship across the board. Um, the problem is um, we sometimes struggle with the idea of stewardship when something is in our care for the long term. If we are using someone else's something for the long term, we forget that it belongs to somebody else and we begin to live as if it's ours, right? So there becomes this, um, this battle between are we stewards or are we owners of something, okay? So um, if we forget that we are stewards, we begin to act like owners. And if we act like owners, then we seek our own glory and our own comfort and our own security from those possessions that are in our hands but do not belong to us. Does that make sense? Right? So when we look at the series over the coming weeks, when we look at things that are not ours but that have been in our hands for maybe our whole lifetime, and we think that we own them, we start to act like owners of our finances and of our families and of our... <coughs> everything right and then we begin to use those things for our own glory and our own comfort and our own security and that goes against the idea of stewardship that if we read and believe what scripture says that everything was created by god and we are given dominion over it then it's not ours and we must not be owners of it we must be stewards of it so over this series we're going to tackle things like time and the gospel. Do you know you can be a good steward or a bad steward of the gospel, right? Um, finances and a bunch more. But today, we are going to tackle one I've never tackled before. I have never preached on this specific topic before. And I thought, how hard could it be? <laughs> and, then, and then I started studying, and I thought, this is really hard. Like, I honestly wasn't sure how to make this fit in a sermon. Because as I was studying, I'm like, this this is something the church doesn't talk about and should talk about and therefore should be a series, not just one Sunday, okay? So I did my best to distill this topic down into bite-sized nugget for you all, but it made me hungry for more and we might revisit this topic in a series later on. We are gonna talk about, the suspense, Nacho World, right? Who wants to visit that theme park? <laughs> right? 
I realized, because in my mind, as I'm preparing this series, I'm thinking nacho in terms of not yours. But then I realized if I just step back and read Nacho World, that sounds like the best theme park ever. And I really want to go to Nacho World. Um, but we are talking about Nacho World. Like, it's not yours. Like, the creation, the heavens and everything that is thereof in the expanse of space and everything that's on Earth. Nacho World, it's not yours. Have you ever thought that we should be stewards of creation? Yeah, some people yes, some people no, right? And, and we have subsets of our culture that are like all the world all the time, right? And would you even believe in the providence of God? I don't look at the calendar when I plan out sermon series six months in advance. Do you know what yesterday was? Earth Day. <laughs> Jesus is so cool. Um, and so, so we're preaching about Nacho World the day after Earth Day, right? And so there's probably a reason for that. I want to share with you one verse from Psalm 89. We're going to be all over scripture. So if you have your pens handy, you just follow along for the journey, okay? Psalm 89, verse 11. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them, right? That's a summary of what we read in Genesis. So here we have this idea that God owns all of creation. Not just the stuff on the earth, okay? But the stuff that we can't even see that goes beyond our mind-blowing concepts of how big space is and how big planets can be and how glorious the outer reaches of everything are, God owns all that too, okay? So it's, it's not Joe's, right? It is Jesus's. He owns it all. And this is what we're going to talk about. How do we be good stewards of all of that, right? So if we have the definition of stewardship, careful management, of something that belongs to someone else according to the standards of that owner, what does biblical stewardship look like, right? We need to go a little bit deeper. Um, creation care is how we're going to term biblical environmentalism because sometimes the term environmentalism carries a context with it that maybe, uh, maybe makes some people uncomfortable. We call it creation care, right? Because we understand it's creation that we didn't do and we care for it. Pretty much simple. Creation care. This is the biblical stewardship definition. Exercising our God-given dominion over his creation, reflecting the image of our creator God in his care and responsibility and maintenance and protection and beautification of his creation. So we reflect God's characteristics because we are made in the image of God and he has set us in dominion over the creation and so we exercise the things that he has told us to exercise, to um, care for it, watch over it responsibly, to maintain it, to protect it, and to make it beautiful, to cultivate it. We are supposed to care for creation. Have you ever guys thought that that was something that God wanted you to do? I honestly, I didn't really give it too much thought before this week, right? And so this, this was challenging me this week. So let's let's start at ground level zero okay let's talk about creation care 101 there we go you have to be up here to make it work creation care 101 this is like theology class creation care beginner and this is where i was this week because i've never really studied the biblical mandate for caring for creation um first we need to understand 
who owns it, right? And we've talked about this a little bit. So this one is already known, okay? There is a statement of ownership in Scripture. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's. We could just stop there, right? Statement of ownership. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell in it, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So, who owns creation? God. Okay, we are good. We are going through this step by step, walking us through this. God owns it. Now, why did God make it? This is step two. We have the statement of ownership, right? Now we need a statement of purpose. Why did God make creation? Why did he make the earth? Why did he make the plants? Why did he make the creepy creepies, right? Why did he make the heavens that are so big that we haven't even seen yet? Why has he made things we've not seen? Have you ever thought about that? Why did he make these things? Okay, statement of purpose. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech, and night to night it reveals knowledge. Why did he make? What is the purpose of creation? To demonstrate his glory, right? So everything, everything in creation, from the creepiest creepies, to the biggest planets that we have never seen, it all screams of God's glory. Every single aspect of creation, not one thing that has been made, exists not to scream of God's glory. Everything from the sm Think of the bug that you like the least. And that spider that was in you. Okay. Okay. And think of the largest planet that you know of. And each one of those were made by God specifically to declare his glory to all of creation, right? That's a beautiful thing. Everything shows us a little bit about God, about his creativity and about his, um, his joy and about his love of color and about um, his masterful hand and his power because scripture tells us that he upholds creation in the palm of his hand. So everything that he has ever made is in the palm of his hand. That should tell you something about God right there. All of creation has the purpose of declaring the glory of God. So we know who owns it, God, right? We know what it exists to do, declare his glory. But then there's this statement of responsibility, okay? The statement of responsibility in Genesis 1.26. God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and we're going to give them dominion over the fish and the birds and the livestock and over the whole earth and over all the creeping things. God made it, and it declares his glory. But then, even before mankind was made, did you get that? Even before God made man, God said, I have a purpose for man. And man's purpose is to be a steward of my creation. Man's purpose is to help me bring glory to myself by shepherding and stewarding and caring for everything that I have made. Now imagine you've got the most incredible possession that you could ever own in the entire anything. I don't even know what it is. Just in your mind, whatever is the most valuable thing that you could own. You got that pictured in your mind? And then you have a baby that's born. And you're like, and now my baby's in charge of that. That's kind of what happens here, right? God has this rich, beautiful, lush creation, 
And he says, and then I'm going to make a child, and I'm going to put that, that new child in charge of it. Any of you would do that? No. But God's ways are not our ways, right? God saw fit to give mankind the joy and the responsibility of caring for creation. And then he set them in creation. He said, all this is for you to steward according to my will. Enjoy it. Steward it. Look at its beauty. Name the animals. Love creation and take care of it. Because mankind is supposed to live in great harmony with the earth. Mankind is supposed to live in great harmony with nature. Because we were made out of? dust right and so we're like made from right the creation right we're part of it okay and so from god's own hands we were made to live in unity with creation now in genesis 2 15 let me flip there there's another verse here so god gave us purpose right so god owns it all it all is supposed to declare the glory of god god calls us special breathes into us holy spirit life right and then sets us in charge and then in verse 215 after God created mankind, he created, did you get this? He created man outside of the garden, it says in scripture. And then God took man and put him in the garden. Do you ever think about that? That's just interesting to me. God made man and then put him in the garden to work it and keep it, okay? So he had purpose for us before we were made, and then he made us, and then he put us in the garden, and he said, Keep it. Enjoy it. Love it. It's yours. Your purpose is to cultivate and love and help it glorify me. Now, we've got ownership. We've got purpose. We've got responsibility. There's one more thing, and this is the one that we don't think about, the one that we don't like to talk about, the one that I didn't even know Scripture really addressed until I started studying this week. And do you know your pastor learns things every week? Like, that's good, right? So I learned something this week. I learned that in addition to ownership and purpose and responsibility, there are consequences that have to do with creation. I didn't know, I did not, I did not know, okay? Statement of consequence, Hosea chapter four, verse three. Therefore, ooh, I, wa I wanna read more of this to you. Let me, let me, let me, let me get here, Hosea. It's one of those tiny ones, let's see if I can find it. There it is. Hosea 4, suspense is building, okay? And we're going to start in, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, okay? Do you see that it's, it's about the land that God has made, the creation that God has made, and the people he's put in it? to shepherd it for his glory. I have a controversy with the people of the land. There's no faithfulness. There's no steadfast love. There's no knowledge of God in the land. But there is swearing and lying and murder and stealing and committing adultery. That They break all the bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Now, therefore, because of all this sin, therefore the land mourns. And all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, even the fish of the sea, are taken away. Why? Because of sin. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't realize, honestly, until this week, that our sinfulness is destroying the earth. So when Adam and Eve, right, 
um, lived in beautiful harmony in the Garden of Eden, right? And everything was good and wonderful and happy and joyful. And then they looked at the fruit of the tree they weren't supposed to eat from, and they took that fruit and they ate it and they partook of it, and suddenly they knew sin, and they knew they were naked. From that moment, it wasn't just that we were set apart from God in our sin, but that all creation began to decay. Sin entered the world and it was no longer pristine. It began to unravel, like when you have a loose thread in a, in a sweater and you start to pull on it and tug at it, and slowly but surely that hole gets bigger. And if you keep tugging on it, the whole thing will unravel, right? And that's what sin does, not just to our hearts, but to all of creation. There is a tie between sinful humanity acting as owners over something we are not owners of, using it for our glory and our good and selfish reasons. And when we do that with creation, which was placed in our hands to steward, it begins to unravel. And even the fish of the sea are taken away. You guys heard of extinction? Direct consequence of our sinful nature. The world is mourning, languishing over sin, right? And so what our job is as Christians is to care for creation. Now, I want to, to share with you four ways that creation is harmed by humanity. Um, Okay, uh, and I, I, I did a lot of research on this. This is fascinating to me. Um, land is being converted from wilderness in its natural state to agricultural use. That's good. We need to eat, right? But then from agricultural use to urban areas at an ever-increasing rate. And some of those lands will never be able to be reclaimed for agricultural use, and they're wasted. Now, what I also learned is this, between, just, I can't even, between three and nine species go extinct every day. So roughly 1,500 species a year disappear off the face of the earth. And once a species has disappeared, it's gone, okay, it's gone. And they've tried to bring species back, but not successfully. So once a species is gone, it's gone. Neither the species nor the role it occupied in God's creation can ever be retrieved. So that aspect, that beauty of God, God's creativity, and the, the, the way that we see God through that part of creation is gone forever. I want that to sink in because that, that is one of the things that really hurt me this week as I was looking at these pictures of animals that went extinct this year already. And the ones that went extinct last year and the year before. And I started thinking, that's a really beautiful bird. Like, I don't like spiders, but like, we'll never see that again. That, that's never going to exist on God's earth again. That kind of um, rattled me a little bit. Experts calculate that between 1% um, and 10%, yeah, 1% of all species will become extinct each year. So that's three to nine species. And scientists realize, not, not biblical people, but like just run-of-the-mill science folk, have stated that this level of extinction is a crisis level, and it's caused by one thing, humans. We have failed at stewarding God's creation. Now, what about this one? Pollution, right? Big problem. We can all recognize that. Um, human garbage is turning up on the shores of uninhabited South Pacific islands. 
We don't live there, but our garbage is showing up there. Far from the shipping lanes, it's just floating on the ocean. And treatments of hazardous chemicals and wastes is an unsolved problem in our world. And pollution, do you want to know what that leads to? Poisoned soil and poisoned water. And ultimately, it leads to a struggle to produce crops and to find clean and sustainable water sources, which in turn affects people in our species who are in poverty, who live in places where they don't have soil to grow crops and they don't have clean water. Right? We're harming ourselves. The, the land is mourning and the people who dwell in it are languishing because of a poor stewardship of the earth. And not only that, we're losing the experiences of cultures around the world who have lived in this beautiful, unique, symbiotic harmony with the earth and creation for generations. They have lived in a way that God designed us to live, but they are being crowded out by expansion. And those cultures and ways of living are being lost. Those are ways that we as humans are actively harming God's creation. Um, and there are more. Those are just four that kind of struck me because I never thought that our own wastefulness and use of resources would affect people in our own. Like, oh, what, who cares if a little shrew goes extinct, right? I mean, no big deal. You don't even hear about it. But when my own poor stewardship of resources actually actively affects in part people who are living somewhere else, it kind of hurts, right? Because it's my own people. Um, maybe we should have a bigger view because it's God's creation. They're not my people. They're God's people. We should care. So let's go back to this definition, creation care. Exercising our God-given dominion over his creation. And in doing so, we're reflecting the image of our creator God about his care and responsibility and maintenance and protection and beautification of his creation. We have a God-given responsibility to take care of the world around us. Now, two things. Creation care is not, okay, underline, is not elevating creation above creator. Okay? So when we're talking about the care of creation and the stewardship of creation, we are not going to elevate what has been created above the one who created it. Okay? And we could think up half a million examples of ways this is done in our world, right? Let's just suffice it to say, let's not break the commandment. We will not become idolatrous in elevating and worshiping the creation above the creator. Okay? Right? That's not creation care. Secondly, it is not elevating one part of creation over another part of creation, right? Because if you read the Genesis story of creation, God made the plants and they were good, right? God made the animals and they were good. God made the skies and they were good and God made them and it was good and everything was good and it was good. And then he summed it all up and he said, it's all very good, right? He didn't say, well, these animals are better than these animals. He didn't say, this tree, more valuable than this spider, right? No, it's all good, right? And so who are we as creation to say one part of creation is better or more valuable? It's all valuable. It all speaks of the glory of God. We should care for it equally, right? So again, you can probably think, and I'm not going to name anything. I'm not getting into political realms here. I'm just telling you. Don't elevate one part of creation over another part of creation, okay? It's all good. Now, 
So if those are what it's not, what is it? It is the responsibility of every Christian. Christians should be on the front edge of creation care. But we've resigned it as a Christian culture, right? There are secular groups that do way more for creation care than Christians do, and that's a shame. We have a biblical mandate from God that we understand to be true, and we've resigned it. And now we've resigned it for so long that when we hear the term environmentalist, what do you think? There you go, tree huggers, right? Okay. Um, and, and we think there's this very, um, I, I, I don't even, I don't, I don't know what political term I can use that's correct. So I'm just not. We think of one type of people, right? Okay. That goes to one extreme and, and we think, I don't want to associate with that kind of mindset. So I don't participate in creation care because if I do, I might be labeled so forth and so on. Shame on us. We have a mandate from God to take care of his creation. We cannot resign God's mandate just because it makes us uncomfortable or because it seems so big that we don't know how to tackle it, right? It is the responsibility of every Christian, and we should be on the leading edge. We should be leading the rest of the world to see the beauty of God through his creation as we steward it for his glory, right? Okay, that is the responsibility of every creation. And did you know... That proper biblical creation care leads to the unsaved people knowing about Jesus. Did you know that? It's in scripture. I'm not making this up. God is so cool when he put all of this stuff together, right? Okay, so I have it up on a slide here for you. Are you ready to just your mind to be blown? Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So people are without excuse. What's the biggest, one of the biggest questions I get as a pastor? Anybody know? What about that tribe that lives in the such and such forest that's never heard about Jesus and doesn't have a Bible? How do they, does God send them right to hell? How do they know about God? Creation, right? <coughs> Faith in God can be found through his creation and his creation alone. This is what God's word tells us. Therefore, people are without excuse. God has given the ability for everyone on the face of the planet to see who he is in his glory and worship him. Isn't that good news? Right? That's fantastic news. But what happens when we fail to steward that creation and species die off? And a little bit of God's glory flickers out because we are not stewarding his creation. Are we then, can we extrapolate out that perhaps we are then maybe partly responsible for people not coming to know who God is because we are not stewarding God's creation to the way that he has asked us to? This one kind of resonated with me a little bit. Like, it's really easy to distance ourselves from this because I don't live over there, you know. What does what I do here affect over there? But God's word plainly tells us that we are to care for the land he has given us. And the land that he has given us helps people come to know who he is. We should really care about the earth. 
because it shows that we love God and we listen to him, right? It's not ours, it's his. He told us to do it. And there is a great purpose. Creation gives glory to God when people come to know who he is, right? Now, the question is, now what? Well, pastor, you told me that I should care about the world. The world's pretty big. What am I supposed to do, pastor? How am I supposed to tackle the world from Ketchikan? Okay, that's a really good question. Right? I'm still wrestling with this. A few things that I thought about. Um, one, you need to repent of your role in poor stewardship. Okay, have you littered? You gotta repent of it. Have you had opportunities to recycle and not? Okay, there's there's a reason recycling's good. Okay. Um, there are ways we have not cared about the earth. That we have greedily used its resources for our own good and glory and not shepherded and stewarded. And even in times, denied ourselves things so that we can shepherd the earth. So I don't know how that's going to play out in your life. But I think every single one of us really needs to wrestle with the ways that we have not taking care of God's creation, okay? Um, ways that we've acted like an owner, that we've treated God's creation like something to be used. And do you even grieve over lost species? Do you grieve over unclean water and poisoned soil and land that can never be reclaimed? As a Christian, we should grieve over those things. God's word tells us that we should grieve over those things. And if you aren't grieving over these things, then maybe that's where we need to start in prayer this morning is to ask God to break our heart for creation because we are part of it and uniquely tied to it. Um, secondly, we should probably be making small changes, right? We can't change the world, but we can change where we live. We can change our, our own family dynamic. We can change our habits. We can change our thought patterns. We can change the ways that we consume, right? And so how can we, in our own families, in our own community, find ways to be better stewards, right? And that's something that you're going to have to wrestle with, too, because every family is going to look a little bit different. But these are questions, as Christians, we need to wrestle with. It is not left to that part of the population, right, on that side of the fence that we all look at and go, they're a little bit far. It's not left to them to care of creation. Why should unbelievers be more obedient than believers? Right? So we must wrestle with these things. And thirdly, um, we might should thank God for his promise. Y'all like living in a decayed world? No, I don't. I really don't. I don't like it when I stub my toe and it hurts. Right? Um, I don't like getting catch can crud that goes around like eight times a year. Okay? Um, I don't like that bad things happen to good people. I don't like that people get sick. I don't like that people die, right? I don't, I now, now I don't like that species die off. I didn't know I wouldn't like that. But now I care. I really do. And it bothers me. I looked at the beautiful things that no longer exist. And I got sad sitting in my office this week. Um, but scripture tells us, while we are deeply connected with the earth, and we have a creation mandate to care for the earth, 
and the earth is unraveling because of our sin and there are consequences of it. We wonder why species are dying off. It's because of our sinful hearts. Um, there's a promise. And the thing that we should do is thank God for it. Because I can't fix the world. You can't fix the world. None of us are going to fix the world. Doesn't matter how hard we try. But God's word tells us this in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. It talks about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. And he's the firstborn of all creation. And it was by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things are held together. If it weren't for Jesus, this world would have exploded a long time ago. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. Meaning that the sins that we have committed... He went to death and came back again, firstborn from the dead, so that we might not die, right? So that in everything he would be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and here's the good promise, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Do you get what that promise is? That promise says that God one day will reconcile all things on heaven and on earth. Everything that has been slowly unraveling in creation since the moment that Adam and Eve sinned. All of the species that have passed away, all of the plants that have died off that will never come back, all of the poisoned water, and all of the ways that we have failed to follow the creation care mandate. One day, because of Jesus on the cross, dying for the sins of the, the world, and do you know that when it says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the Greek word there is cosmos. It's a general term. It doesn't mean people world. It means earthy world, right? For God so loved creation that he gave his only son. God died so he could redeem not just us back, but the world back, the heavens back from what is decaying so that one day he will make all things new. And we will see those species again, right? And they will declare the glory of God through the resurrection of Christ. And we too will be made new in that place. And we will declare the glory of God because of the blood of Christ on the cross. Is that not good news? That is good news. But here's the other part of it. We can begin that process now. God died and rose so that we could live in the kingdom now. We don't have to wait. We can begin to practice kingdom living now. And that means making small changes and repenting of our sin and critically thinking about the way we care for creation. I'm going to close in prayer and just leave us there and let God speak to you as he's been speaking to me this week. And just begin to think about, maybe ask God, open your mind to things that you've never thought about in terms of the biblical mandate for creation care. Father, as I read your word this week, I was blown away by how many places the earth and humanity are connected in ways I never thought before. That our actions affect the world. And it's not just a matter of, well, we ran out of that. Let's find another resource. Your scripture tells us that the world grieves when we fail to steward it according to your will. And I'll be the first to admit I've never thought about this, really at least not from the biblical perspective 
And so, Father, would you forgive me for the ways that I have used your creation for my own glory and my own good? And would you open my eyes and break my heart for your creation and all of the things that are in it? Would you give me a tender heart for the creepy crawlies? Would you give me a tender heart for the species that are on the verge? Would you help me pray in such a way that maybe species would come back from the brink? That we might begin to see new life where there was none. Lord, all creation sings your praise. And that will mean us too, Father. Start in our hearts this morning. You've made us in your image. Male and female, you created us. I pray, Father, that you would refresh in us this mandate that you gave us to care for, to shepherd, to steward, to beautify, to manage, to enjoy this beautiful place you've given us to live. What a beautiful place we live in here, Father. May it start here in this room with us and your Holy Spirit and move out as Christians begin to embrace this idea of creation care. Not ours, Father, it's yours. We open our hands and say, we've held on to it for too long. Give us guidance and wisdom to shepherd your creation for your glory and the good of mankind that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And some of that will be done simply because tribes somewhere will look at the world around them and say, look at this, God is good. We believe, and your kingdom is expanded. We pray this in the name of Jesus.